State of the Game is part of the Talk and Golf Podcast Network, proudly supported by the Golf Society. Thegolfsociety.com.au are retailers of the best brands in golf apparel, footwear, and accessories, including Ralph Lauren, Peter Miller, Travis Matthew, and Jay Lindeberg. Special offers apply for Talk and Golf listeners. Visit thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash Talk and Golf to claim your discount today. And for more quality golf podcasts, visit talkandgolf.com. Welcome to this very first episode of what we hope will become a regular in your podcast rotation, State of the Game. My name's Rod Murray, and together with my co-hosts, I'll bring you what we hope will be a lively, different, and hopefully important take on all things golf each and every fortnight. Ah, so young, so much hope, so many good intentions, so many promises not kept, and all that in just the first 40-odd seconds of episode one. Yes, hello everybody, welcome to State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters, and has been doing so now for exactly 100 episodes, and precisely eight years. My name's still Rod Murray, and that intro you just heard was from January 22, 2012, a time when the world's number one ranked player was Luke Donald, the longest hitter on the US Tour was Bubba Watson, and Peter Dawson was still the man in charge of the RNA. So much has changed, but so much has also stayed the same, including two of my original three co-hosts in this endeavour, Mike Clayton and Jeff Shackleford, who will be along in just a moment. We're going to resist the temptation to turn this into some kind of look-back show. So let's get on with talking about the topics of today of the day in 2020, though. Depressingly, some of them will be very familiar. Joining from the US, writer, blogger, Golf Channel type, commentator, analyst of the game, Jeff Shackleford. Shack, it seems so long ago... And yet somehow, like only yesterday, all at the same time that we kick this off. Welcome to you. How are you, my friend? I'm great. And we're still just as bitter as we were in episode one. And I'm proud of it. I went back and listened to the whole thing. And to be honest, you probably could have just hit play on that. And people might not have known the difference. (laughs) What did we we complain about most? Yeah. uh, Well, funnily enough, the ball and distance. Oh, uh, oh, interesting. Get the drinks ready. Uh, You'll get another crack at that today. I'm sure from this side of the planet, where he will today caddy for his second player of the week in a national amateur tournament, of which he's a former champion, at the course where he won said tournament, and in the four decades since that mighty achievement, has subsequently redesigned the layout. Mike Clayton of CDP Golf, you might have the most ridiculous resume of any podcast guest in the history of podcasts. Welcome. Tell us where you're at, what the event is, and who you're caddying for. Well, I'm at the Australian Amateur at Royal Queensland. I started off cutting for Lucas Michelle, who's a member at Metropolitan in Melbourne, where I play. It was a practice run for the US Open we're going to do together at Wingfoot. So Lucas won the mid-amateur, so he's playing Augusta in the Open. Uh, he lost one down yesterday to Nathan Barbieri, a kid who lost the final last year. So it was a pity they played so early, but it was a decent match. It was some scrappy golf, but uh, Lucas was one down. He had a great iron shot to about six foot the last hole, and Nathan made a 15-footer for the matching birdie. So um, so now I'm counting for Elvis Smiley, who is son of Liz, who for tennis players will know she won the Wimbledon doubles and played with Mar McCormick's wife, Betsy Nagelson, quite a bit in doubles. Won the, she, so she was at 25 in the world at one point in singles, so a terrific tennis player. Okay, for Elvis in the Australian Open, 
where as a 17-year-old, he opened up with Mike Weir and Rod Pampling at 70-67 at the Australian. Shot 75 on Saturday, but 71 on Sunday. But for 17, he's um, he's the best player down here almost now. Yeah, rangy, left-handed, so, um, Australian junior um, champion. Yeah. He won the Australian junior, so he's a he's another of the the tennis playing uh, pro, um, progeny prodigies. You know, the quarters and the Ryan Ruffles and his sister who won the US Amateur. So both his, both uh, Elvis's parents were tennis players. His mum obviously very good. His dad not so good, but still very good. If that trend so continues, that's my job their, today. Their kids will all go to cycling. So the kids of the tennis players do golf and the kids of the golfers will go to cycling because that's what golfers do in the middle age. You've skipped the most important detail there, Clades, of course, which, well, two details. Royal Queensland, who won the Australian Amateur there in 1978? Oh, that'd be you. Yeah, that would be me, yeah. Is your one iron on the wall there framed in a... It is on the wall, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that, was when, that was when players used one irons that had 18 degrees loft, which are now I see four irons. <laughs> I see a four Callaway <laughs> making an 18 degree four iron now in, in a very unsubtle effort to... To convince amateurs they're hitting the ball further. Hitting the ball further. Let's just make a one on and print four on the bottom of it. And of course, the Royal Queensland layout is a completely different golf course to the one that you played all those years ago because you redesigned it in what, about the middle of the 2010s? Yeah, 2005 or six or seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did. So it was a, Corey Paven called it the best course you'd ever played with a bridge over the top of it. (laughs) So there was a neck of five holes that went out. Uh, and to the far point away from the clubhouse and the government built a big bridge across the river next to the course and uh, they played under that for probably 20 years, I guess. And then they built another bridge, which made it impossible to play under both bridges. So they, the government paid to completely uh, rebuild their golf course on the clubhouse side of the bridge. So they lost five holes. And probably the only club, one of very few clubs in the world, eight-in-hole clubs, which could lose five holes and stay where they were and still have plenty of room. So we built them a new course and it's kind of controversial. Some of the members um, don't like it much, but the majority do. It's unusual. It has no rough. The fairways are wide. There are bunkers in the middle of the fairways. It's um, a cool set of greens, a couple of tricky ones. But it plays well. It's interesting to watch you know, kids play it and play many of the holes in using different strategies and not just bashing them over their driver, even though you would think they might, given how much space there is. But some of the smart ones have figured out that you can bash away with your driver, but if you go to the wrong part of the hole, it's more difficult than if you go to the right part of it. So it's a fun course, interesting. And it's, you know, the latest rankings, it did pretty well. It's just 22 or 3 in Australia, which is pretty good now. And what it's a very different golf course for Queensland. Queensland, Shaq for American, it's a bit like Florida. A lot of resort bad golf Florida. in Queensland. Yeah, so the Gold Florida. Coast, a bit south of Brisbane yeah. there, is kind of the Florida area of of Australia. You get a lot of resort courses, cart golf, concrete paths, lots of palm trees and water and uh, all water carry path trees and that sort of thing. So RQ really does stick out. What's been the reaction of the Australian amateur field, Clayton? Have you had a chance to talk to many of the players at that age? They're mostly pretty young. Do they think about... Golf courses I, I and strategies? Or? I haven't asked any of them about it, really. I probably should, but no, I don't think they do. I think they you know, they played one of the qualifying rounds at Brisbane, which is a narrow, pokey little course where you've got to bunt the ball around between over-treed, you know, down over-treed fairways and or overly tree-lined fairways. And it's a much different golf course. It's, it's, you wouldn't find two courses in the same city so 
far apart in terms of the golf they ask you to play. I don't know what they make of it. I think they probably enjoyed it. It's in great shape, and that's often the only thing they consider, really. The greens are for Bermuda greens, no grain and a beautiful surface. And um, I suspect they find it interesting, but I don't know. I'll kind of hunt around the next few days and see what a few of them think. Don't let on that uh, the course is your fault before you ask their opinion. Just ask them their no. opinion and, yeah. <laughs> and see how you go there. And finally, because I know we're going to get you, let you go reasonably early because you've got an early tea time today. Who's Elvis uh, playing against today? Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. What do you do? All, I know, a, all, all I know is he's off at 7.09. So, so you better be so there by so, 7.04. I've got to be there by 6.30. So 36 holes today, which will be hopefully, which will be interesting. Yeah, indeed. You amaze me, Clay, the way you do it. And what about the caddying experience? And uh, I know you've done this before and whatnot. Uh, what's your role? I know you've caddied for Elvis before. What role does the caddy play in match play? Is it different to stroke play? Uh, no, not really, I don't think. I think, mean, you know, it's kind of um, do the numbers. And if he wants to know what I think, then I'll tell him what I think. I, I caddied for him last week in a big amateur tournament in Melbourne in, at, at Victoria, which we also redesigned, which was interesting. So um, I know he's, I'm getting to know his game pretty well. I mean, Lucas, it's, I mean, when I caddy for Sue O, it's easy because we just hit the same clubs. I mean, her six irons, my six iron, but uh, my six irons, Lucas is nine iron, and probably Elvis is nine iron too. So it's kind of tricky to think, what would I hit here? And then just take three off it. <laughs> it's <just sort> of <laughs> the way I do it. Shaggy, he, he amazes me, Clates. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> What a resume. Unbelievable. Now, did you tell any stories of your win while you were caddying? Did you just relive any memories? Come on. No, not one. No, I haven't done that. No, uh, not one. Okay. He, even left, he one. even left it out when he told us what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> did you have a hole in one with that one eye? Is that why it's on the wall there? No, but I used it when that. There's a story to that one. I bought it from the pro at Kingston Heath. Um, well, that set of clubs. It was a set of clubs Ray Floyd used in the 1970 Australian Open at Kingston Heath. And the Americans used to come down and they all had contracts with Slasinger. So Nicholas, Player, Devlin, Palmer, they all came down and played with, and Trevino, they all came down and played with clubs out of the factory in Sydney. There was a great club breaker in Sydney who made beautiful clubs. In fact, he made a set for Trevino. It just had Slasinger stamped on the back for the 1969 Dunlop. A friend of mine came for him, a guy called Greg Alexander. He's 16. And they became the Australian Blade Max Flies. So there was a guy, Sandy Fakeney, his name was, in Sydney. We made amazing clubs for, for Slasinger in Sydney. And this was a set he'd made for Ray Floyd and the pro at Kingston. had them and I bought them off him in a few years later. And that one iron's actually out of that set. Of course, the rest of the set I stupidly gave away, which, <laughs> I, which was beyond belief. The things like the, I, I've got, I think I've got th- two or three sets of clubs. Um, the other 150 I've given away, which is kind of, I regret that. But um, anyway. Particularly ones with stories I gave those like that away clubs. too, which is pretty stupid. Ray Sorry? Floyd, particularly sets with stories like that. Ray Floyd's 1970 Australian Open set. is. Uh... Well, and the, and the Vic Open I won. In 1980, this is not about Thomas, I won. But the Vic Open, I won. I worked at Spalding when I was at university. Marilyn Smith, the American pro, had played exhibitions in Melbourne, and she left the clubs she used, so the Spalding clubs, in the office in Melbourne. They were just in a box, and I found these things in a box. They were a beautiful set of clubs. So I just put a strip of lead tape over her name, stamped on the back of them, and I used those clubs for about six years. They were a great set of clubs. 
back when. Uh, there you go. You don't get that with modern golf clubs, do you, Shaka? Clates alluded to it there. I don't know whether you saw this bit of hype about the, the Callaway have just released a whole new set. And an eight, with an 18 degree four iron and a pitching wedge that's 41 degrees, Shaq. Yeah. Hey? Do we keep falling for this? Of course. Um, I mean, it gets to everything we've ever talked about on the show. It just seems like one thing that's that's uh, ramping up of late is this. Um, it's a desperation, really, isn't it? This this golf desperation syndrome. Just uh, whether it's guys getting bulked up and and putting on their TrackMan numbers or clubs being bent to to be able to say that they're uh, they're they're hitting these into holes and they're better athletes. And it's just it's just also uh, it's also short sighted. Ultimately, I, I I don't and I don't understand what fuels it so much. Um, but I get it with 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 club companies and amateur golfers and people feeling excited when they spend a thousand dollars and they get they get to go to a seven iron now and they think they're hitting it longer i get that but for the professionals it's really it's it's so bizarre well, to you, watch you pointed to it on your blog the other day this we've started the season with the this this pursuit for speed i think what did you have you had dechambeau mickelson who's smashing the ball at 50 and has made it his sort of catch cry on social media hitting bombs uh, and Matthew Wolf hitting, I don't know how far that drive went, but my goodness, what a what a golf swing! It's crazy, isn't it? I, it, I mean, on so many levels, it's it's you just see the injury potential. We still know at the major championships that's not the way to play the game. It may swinging hard and hitting it a bomb way, a long way, and bombing and gouging works certain venues. I get that. Uh, but gosh, through through time, we've we've always seen that, that this is not what works. Even Brooks Kepka, who can hit it a long way, has has done what he's done with with a, a mix of different skills, not on all on speed and all on his uh, his his addition of muscle and strength. Uh, so it it, it uh, I mean I understand what's driving it to some extent. Um, but it still blows my mind when you see the best players in the world falling for these things and um, trying to pursue these things. And and then yeah, well, the only reason it really bothers me is then you know it it seeps into the lower levels of the game and and kids who who and their parents who don't maybe know better uh, pick up on it and then and then it and then it derails uh, some potentially talented people. Well, we're we're going to have a chat about some of that old man media, new media argument, which I don't really understand, which sort of broke out at the President's Cup, but did you not tell us on this show, Shaq, just a few months ago, that one of the criteria college coaches now look at for selecting players is club head speed? Well, they like to see their track man numbers, uh, yeah. So, um, they want to see their numbers, and, and parents are aware of that, and and then, and then parents are even uh, I mean, lamenting that their child is in a certain height, which is just unbelievable. <laughs> in the history of golf, uh, some of the be- best players of all time were were not tall. Um, so yeah, it's it's certainly another thing they look at, and and this. Sorry, so it's amazing. The question I guess I'm asking is: are, are we or have we perhaps or potentially already bred a generation of golfers for whom the game is distance, and they can't make any sense of the things that we talk about. Uh, I think we're getting close to that. Yeah, where you sense and 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 Clates has, has probably got um, some experience with this, but you sense um, that most of the great players in each generation, if you gave them um, today's clubs, 
in a little time, they could adjust and play, figure out how to play with them and play well. I'm not sure that the generation we have now, and I don't, and this isn't an indictment on them, but I'm not sure if you could give them clubs from the past that in a few days they could adjust and figure out how to play golf with them. I think there are some players, um, I, I, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, Brooks Kepka and, and Patrick Reed and Justin Thomas. There's, there, there are guys who have shown that they could, you feel like they could, mm-hmm. they have the brain and the skill to make that adjustment, throttle back, whatever it is. But you also sense a large number of the players. And, and I think the, the video that, that Clates did with, with, uh, Lucas, uh, Herbert probably speaks to that where it, it would, it's, it's a huge, uh, they're, they're very, re- built around the equipment their game is built around the modern equipment to the point of uh you do wonder how much of their natural skill is is uh, is genuine and some of it's inflated by the equipment we lost clates you're right there in the next generation of professional golfers right in the thick of it in the middle of that field what are you seeing as someone who's been around well, the game obviously well i've watched it this week yeah um craig bishop is a terrific coach in perth he coaches curtis Lark and a couple of other good players he said you know these kids bomb the ball they've got no control over it and they can't hit the green from 120 yards away so and it's you know it's an exaggeration but it's kind of true they all smash it so far but with so little control and i watched we can divert here a little to tiger woods at the president's cup huggy and i walked around huggy the old media and i walked around <laughs> in, walked around inside the ropes watching tiger the last day at royal melbourne and it was a Utter masterclass of genius in ball control, complete control over the ball. You know, he missed the third green by a yard short down back down the hill, but um, just total control. So they understand that what Tiger's brought to the game is great power, but they don't have any, you know, they've got 10% of the control of the ball he has. And, and smashing the ball a long way off the tee, which is easy with a modern driver, just, just a matter of learning how to swing it at 120 miles an hour. Or 140. And that, of course, takes some skill. But, you know, the second part of the game, and clearly the most important part, is controlling your ball from there to the green. And Tiger was clearly the best player at the President's Cup and put on a complete masterclass of playing an amazingly interesting golf course perfectly. Mm. And, you know, that would have been a great lesson for, for them. But, you know, Lucas played with a couple of kids the first day who, you know, they drive it. I can't. You can't see them in the end. The, the thing's going so far, you actually lose sight of it. It's, you know, and it's just they pull a nine on that, Mr. Green. And of course, yeah, all they missed the Green by thirty yards for the five one because the five one's going two hundred yards. So the scale of the game, not only relating to the golf course, but it's completely out of balance. And it's and I think you know we've de-skilled ourselves. It's made our life easier, but and we were spoken about this before. But we, the whole race has de-skilled ourselves. You now we can't. I couldn't find my way to the golf course this morning without my phone telling me how to get there. My handwriting's terrible. I can't remember a phone number because it's all it's just there for us. Mm. Big-headed drivers have just they're, they're de-skilling a whole generation of players because they don't have to swing with any precision or or control the ball at all because the ball doesn't spin. It just it goes relatively straight in the wind. So as Jeff said, you're right. I mean, it would take a Patrick Reed or a Tiger or Kepka or, or um, Shane Lowry. You know, there are lots of uh, you could play with the old stuff, but but a lot of them, 
he gave these clubs kids a wooden driver and that one iron hanging in the clubhouse at Royal Queensland, they wouldn't know what to do with it. With a ballada ball in the wind. That'd be completely it. I mean, that, the, the good ones would figure it out, but, you know, we're de skilling a generation of players who are shooting low scores because par fives are reduced to drives and long par fives at Royal Queensland. You know, the, the two long, you know, 580 yard holes, they drive a four iron's a long hole for these guys. Well, because it's, well, it's driver one-on-one in the old money. Is really, no, there's, no. there's almost no such thing as a driver three-wood par five. And well, the ninth hole this week was into the wind. Lucas hit driver three-wood 600 yards into the wind with almost no run on the fairway. Jeez. And and, and Cap, Kapalua had that this year. And look how much fun it was to watch. It was because it was wet. But um, how fun it was to watch a, a wood just trickle onto the green and, and a player – deal with that or Justin Thomas missing a drive and, and, and being faced with a decision because of the yeah. hazard and, and the distance actually met something. Um, and it was interesting to watch. Um, and that's the thing that's always so amazing in these discussions we have is what is seen as that, that, that this power game is, you know, it's just inevitable because of their athleticism and it's what people want to watch. And it's just really not playing out that way. <laughs> At well, least if you, you know, go by ratings. What was the most interesting, compelling golf of the last six months? Yeah. Clearly, Royal Melbourne by a street. Over, over, yeah. Nothing was second. Yeah. And, and the world was fascinated watching a really a, I won't say a pitch and putt course, but it was a wedge. Tiger was hitting wages in the most of the holes, but, you know, the, the times he had to hit more than the wedge, he was still just bang on with everything. You know, perfect flight trajectory, spin the whole lot. You know, playing to the right part of the fairway to get to the flags, and it was, you know, it was a beautiful looking course, providing fascinating golf to watch. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, the, the stuff we saw at Medina and all that, you know, that other mindless, boring stuff that, you know, turns people off. Really, I think. Well, we'll, we'll come to that. In a uh, just on a side, it was actually a privilege to be there that Sunday, wasn't it, Clates, to watch Tiger? It, it was something quite special. I think it was a very special round of golf. It was. Yeah, the only problem was, I mean, I tried to watch it outside the ropes in you know, the, the two previous days and you could barely see a thing. You know, we went and stood on the fifth tee 20 minutes before Tiger got there. And by the time he got, and we were right on the edge of the road, by the time he got there with the caddies and the TV and the people had crowded in, we could barely see him swing. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was brutal trying to watch, but um, it been I'm not sure what you do about that when, you, when you've got five matches and, 30,000 people trying to watch Might have been our last chance one player. As well. Tricky, but anyway. Shaq, back to, so we don't think this is as entertaining to watch. Clearly the tour does, uh, and clearly the business side of the game does because it's the it's the part of the game that they keep driving. Are we wrong? What is what do, what do viewing figures on television and crowds at tournaments and participation in the game tell us? Are, are we shouting at the clouds is it is it in fact the case that the game has moved on and left us behind and that really power golf is the way of the future and that's what people are interested in seeing well ratings are down on most sports in the united states so and golf is the pga tour is down um probably commensurate with those numbers because of cord cutting and different things um so uh, it's hard to say but the ratings certainly aren't up and you, you certainly can't say that, that it's uh, spiking interest and in, in, in excitement. Um, I mean, it's really fairly simple. Most of the major executives now in, in golf have a 
background in marketing and they don't really have much interest or love or, or knowledge of golf. And so they're marketing people and they think that they, that, that muscle and, and athleticism and strength and, and all that will sell and will overcome and get the, the demographics of the sport younger so that advertisers and corporations are, are happy. I mean, that's all they're thinking about. They could care less about the game, the health of it, the health of the players, the longevity of their careers. All that stuff is utterly meaningless to them when they sit around and just think, what can we do to, to market these guys as, as people who just miss their calling as football players and, and stumbled into golf? And, and that narrative is what they think will work. And it, it, the demographic of uh, the viewer has remained the oldest in all sports. Um, the, the, you know, it, I, don't, I, I don't hear people uh, saying it's the number one reason they watch the game uh, very often. And then, and then the people who do, you have a conversation with them, and they, uh, ultimately it's a fairly uh, knee-jerk reaction. And then, and then you dig down deep and the things that they really do enjoy, or you talk to them about the shots that really create the excitement, they get the point a little bit more. And you talk analogies with baseball or tennis where they've gone all in on power for different reasons. Um, so I do sense that, that, uh, we, we could still be seen as, as the old man in the, uh, barking about things that, that and the games pass us by, but, uh, I think there are a lot more, or as many people as ever who are kind of scratching their heads and not finding it that that um, compelling. And then there's always that element. You, I don't know how you measure it, but that we we uh, we love the sport because of the relatability factor. That you know, yeah, maybe they're hitting seven iron where I'd hit five or whatever. But you kind of felt like there were some ties to the everyday game with the the, the pro game in the sense of the scale of it and all that. And that's wiping away that um i don't know how you measure that and and if that's even something that that sh- that, that could be measured is it but some- that has to be having an effect is it something the tour is interested in so one of the other podcasts i do the good good podcast my co-host adrian Logue, i thought he put it beautifully that it seems the pga tour is intent on turning professional televised golf into something that resembles a video game so that the audience will eventually no longer be those who participate in golf but like other sports, predominantly are people who sit and watch it on television. Do you sense that there's any truth in that? And is that a sensible road to go down if you're in the entertainment business, which is what the PGA Tour is? I guess. I mean, I, they, you know, their love of Top Golf, I'm sure, is a pursuit of just trying to get more viewers. Top, there's no evidence that Top Golf produces golfers, but it might produce people who, having experienced hit a shot with a group of friends, uh, will have more of an appreciation for the players when they watch them on television. Um, so I, I don't, uh, begrudge them trying to get viewers any way they can. And I don't, but they, they have an, an interesting place in the game right now where they, I, I, it's, it's, I've heard this from a couple of people and, and totally unprompted. And it's, it fascinated me because I hadn't really thought of it this way, but they, 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 they've said, you know, Jay Monahan, the tour have had a chance with the weakening of the USGA, uh, the things that come along with Augusta National being who they are uh, as a club and, and a once-a-year tournament and it being debatable what their role is as a, as a, as a grow-the-game or, or health-of-the-game entity. Um, but the PGA Tour had the chance to be that one that, 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 that makes the game healthy and then reaps the benefits by having their product, for lack of a better word, be, be healthy. 
and that he has you know punted on that essentially in in pursuit of various things uh, or defense of things that undercut the integrity of the sport, whether it's the distance issue or Patrick Reed uh, being um, um, you know buying his stories and um, and we're seeing it now here in the United States. Commissioner of Baseball kind of is is going going through much worse issues on that sense. Uh, but it's fascinating how quickly you can you can lose that uh, ability to be that uh, entity that that has that voice. And they've it, it's fascinating that people saw this opening for them and um, and that they've blown it. And I kind of I get that perspective now, and and I'm certainly getting it as as you watch and and you scratch your head because. Um, you know, Tiger lays it out so beautifully on this issue of the speed pursuit, and so so succinctly. But I mean, he he has that kind of stock answer now. He's given three or four times, and it covers many many things if you break it down. And 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 uh, no one no one really, uh, and 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 yet he's the one who kind of you start using the word speed. He's you know. He's the one who invoked it first, and yeah, that's not his game now. Um, and he's just, he's when like you guys said, when he's on on the right course, he's he's just so superior still. Yeah. What's his stock answer? You've lost me. Oh, so his stock answer is he covers you know um, uh, the the notion that you really need to have three or four good weeks a year playing that kind of, you know the bigger head. Um, it, it it's just a it's a you can get away with misses very badly. Um, and, and what he gets at with some of those things in the answer, uh, obviously the, there's an injury issue. Um, there's a lot, a career longevity issue that I, I think if you could really get him to sit down and talk is, 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 would be fun to flesh out. Um, and part of that's money, but I think he sees this way the game is played now as one that will shorten careers either because of injuries or just boredom. The players just don't find it a, they don't, they're not enjoying their job as much maybe as predecessors did um and then there's the there's the issue of whether it's healthy for courses and it produces the kind of compelling things that that golf can produce um and you just don't really sense that though that kind of nuance and it's really not even that great a nuance is even anything that would be remotely of interest to the people who are sitting around a table trying to market uh, a product which is really what what most of the, the leadership of golf is they're, 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 they're trying to market a, you know, it's no difference than sitting around trying to find new ways to sell, you know, cereal or something else. They just, they're, they're not, they're not thinking big picture. Well, except that and we've seen this so many times, but the marketing genius that comes from another sport who saved the other sport with some incredible wanders into golf. And says, I'll, fi- I'll fix this, but golf is very different. Clates, is it not the golf consumer and, we know the disconnect between professionals and amateurs has been getting bigger and bigger, and we've sort of pulled our hair out about that. And said, in the long term, is that a good thing for even the professional game, ultimately, leaving aside the amateur game? But I suppose, Clates, is the modern professional golfer, is, the Tiger, is Tiger Woods different to Seve in the way he thinks about the game? Well, I guess probably more more uh, relevant would be, is Lucas Herbert different to Seve in the way... He thinks of Lucas Herbert is different to you, or the or that tier of player from thirty yeah. years ago. Has the professional attitude towards the game changed? Do you think? Yeah, I, I think Tiger and Seve would be kindred spirits. Really, I would see them seeing the game exactly the same way. Which is why I sort of tried to back um, out of that after I started because <laughs> I yeah. don't think it made um, the point. Yeah, I see so little interest in the history of the game. 
you know, these kids couldn't tell you who won the Masters in 1970 if they had to fly to the moon. You know, they wouldn't have a clue. I mean, in fact, we played the tournament last week. We played in the Pro-Am with a couple of English kids. And somehow the conversation got around to Bill Rogers. No, because no, we were on the 18th of Victoria. Greg Norman of Stanley hit a 9 iron on the – well, he missed the green with a 9 iron, but – um, in the 1981 Australian Open, to lose by a shot to Bill Rogers. So these guys were two English kids. Rogers, that year, had won the Open, second in the US Open, a world match play. He won at Firestone. He won the New Zealand. He won the New South Wales Open, Australian Open. And I think he after that he won the New Zealand Open and New Zealand Open. His kids had no clue who Bill, Rod- Bill Rogers was. Not a clue. Any interest? Were they interested no, when no, you mentioned his name? So. No clue. No clue. So I think they, you know, there's a much less interest in the game itself. It's just a, something they fall into and play it, and um, you know, it's with interesting. View, but, view, I, but I think, but but Tiger, on the other hand, I remember the one interaction I ever had with Tiger was walking around in a program with Steve Williams and Peter Fowler in Taiwan. Tiger was happy for some English conversation in the program. And, um, we were talking about clubs, and he was saying that, well, clubs in America, companies don't. I said, why don't they put a, make a set of clubs with your name on them? And he said, well, yeah, in America, the companies don't think that clubs with names on them sell, pros, pros names on them sell. In Australia, that was all that sold. Mm. You know, PGF made clubs. Peter Thompson and Kel Nagel were two of the biggest selling. He said, Kel Nagel, he was a really good player, wasn't he? He knew all about Kel Nagel. So you know, he he understood he understands the history and completely gets it. These kids, English kids, English kids, had no clue who Tom Bill Rogers was. Not a faintest idea who he was. Never heard of him. And not just because they were English, I think you'd find the same thing amongst most of our Australian amateurs as well. There's an irony, is there not, Shaq, in that? And what Clayton says about Tiger is true. And I think all of us who followed his career for a long time know he's dropped enough nuggets for you to know that he genuinely has a love for the game. The generation of and I suppose this really came to the fore with the, the whole old man media nonsense that happened at the President's Cup. The guys from Barstool Sports who were at the centre of that were at the President's Cup for one reason only, to fist bump Tiger. That was their stated goal. Uh, up- that, that's, a, that's, that's a dap. Um, yeah, <laughs> Rod. I, I learned I learned that in this. We know it's very old man to call it a fist bump. It's Shaker. a dap. Well, the, Sorry, they wanted to they wanted to <laughs> to touch Tiger. So, which is completely different for the reasons that I was there and Clates was there, and unfortunately you weren't here. But had you been here, and that whole thing that blew up out of that, I know you went on to their podcast in the aftermath of all that to talk about this old man media nonsense. I don't even know what old yeah, man media yeah. and new media is supposed to be. But is there an irony about that that? You know, Tiger's kind of old man, and yet he's driven this interest in the game at a level of the the, the level of interest in in the game itself is wanting to be near and bask in the glow of him, not anything to do with the game. Well, sure, there's an irony in it, um, and it's it's uh, and it's fine. I mean, I, I think all this if if it brings more people into the sport, and he does when he plays, uh, that's that's great. Uh, yeah, where they they go off uh, on on a different thing is there's they're just kind of feeding into a uh, a different mindset, and it may even speak to what Clates was getting at, which is not not knowing that much about the history. Um, they they might you know, sense that uh, that 
kind of uh, behavior is is um, you know I get it the first time, but then you know, after after that, is that really something that people are looking for in their coverage? And that was what I I debated with them and suggested they should they should consider evolving uh, from that, and that didn't go. For those who over, didn't hear it, later, uh, so, totally well. So, so what happened? So there, there was this huge drama and on Twitter. They, they drove John Huggan off Twitter. The the barstool briefly, fans. briefly, um, briefly. He's oh, is he back yet? I'm not sure. But so there was, you know, so there was a lot of that. And then you know, barstool sports, not just their golf pod, have had issues with these things in the past. They're a very aggressive sort of media outlet in the way they cover the game. That they they proudly announce that they don't pretend to be journo's or media. They're fans, and that's the perspective yeah. that they want to bring. Uh, you got caught up in the crossfire of all that stuff that started at the President's Cup, and then you ended up going on their podcast to talk about stuff, which must have felt somewhat like a lion walking into a den of Christians, I would think, Shaq. <laughs> what happened? What did they say? What was the nature of the the exchange? Um, well, they mixed... were happy being called fanboys, um, even though they're very proud of being fans of the boys out on the tour. <laughs> Is it in a nutshell? And I get it, you know. I, I I took a shot, um, and I but I explained to them where it was coming from. It was it was there was a little pettiness to it because I had been in a tournament the week before, in the Bahamas, and had been asked to take down a very nice, pretty golf swing video, and it's just a the tour is constantly uh, changing their. Uh, their regulations or or they evolve each year uh, and they go or they devolve and I can't keep up with it. So now we're back to no practice round, no pro-am, any video can be seen of a player in action. Um, uh, why? I have no idea. So you know, something the, the you shot yourself is, on your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, any, and by the way, any spectator could have stood right next to me, right behind the rope and shot the same video, posted it. And, of course, would be in no trouble whatsoever. But I am viewed as profiting from that somehow. Um, and, therefore, that was the ex- one of the reasons I was given um, besides the re- – or, or asking a little – for a little explanation as to why the regulation had kind of retightened again. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's just, it's just kind of dumb when your ads are showing people videotaping – or videotaping, shooting with their mobile phone – video and that's the lifestyle of the fan and you tell the story as much as as the media that's the the ad campaign so it, it's a um, you know it, it puts us in a terrible position and then people uh like the barstool guys will complain that my coverage is old school well part of what i wanted to explain to them was i part of the reason i'm stuck in an old school mindset uh is really not the mindset it's the the rules and you guys got to play by different rules so that makes us frustrated when we're we're uh, seen as uh, old men and hey, I was I'm trying to do my part early in the week. Uh, I'm there. I'm in the Bahamas. It's a beautiful day. Tiger's swing looks beautiful. I want to share it. And in theory, that to the net- networks who do golf that, and the sponsors, they're all for that. The sponsor picked up my video, by the way, on their social media theme because it's a really social media is a reminder that the tournament's about to start and don't forget to watch yeah. it. And Look who's playing. so this is the kind of stuff we deal with. And some people, you know, PGA tour staff, uh, PGA tour.com media writing staff plays by different rules than us. And the tour wants to sell ads and wants to be a media entity and wants to compete. And they're doing a great job. They're, 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 uh, they're helping kill a, a lot of the golf media by, by being in that business and competing and getting exclusives and, and having exclusive access. And um, the problem for them, though, is that once uh, kind of independent media stops covering you, 
um, you're, you're going to lose a lot of relevance. And, and as I tried to explain to the Barstool guys, it didn't go very well because we were jumping around. But I said, you know, this is really going to be expedited with the gambling in golf. And they thought they took that. Uh, and by the way, the response I got was wonderful. Unlike when I <laughs> took the jab, a lot of their listeners wrote me really nice messages. I mean, there were just a handful of mean ones, but most of them were really, really uh, nice. And they, they understood where I was coming from. But the one thing I didn't get to flesh out was, you know, with gambling is going to come more scrutiny. They're going to come a lot of things where I just said the players are not ready for it. I don't think they understand what's going to happen with that. And um, that's something that the tour and all of this is, uh, I think, trying to get ahead of. But I just don't think that their players are realizing it. If they are sensitive to some of the things that that normal media covers, like, uh, you know, I put up a little blog today about Tommy Ganey, you know, a little, little joke about his arrest a month ago. And, I mean, they just go bonkers. Uh, some of the, the, the followers, and you just say, well, what are they going to do when when a writer's on the range and tweets that somebody's having a bad warm-up and looks injured, don't bet on him today? Mm. They're going to go berserk. And Poor so they're a cat. Well, then there's the whole, <laughs> whole world of what the caddies know mm. and how they can funnel information and profit. I mean, it is – so they, the point is they're, they're, they're just not – I just don't think they're ready for this world of uh, if they are so eager to just kind of see old media go away. Wait till they they introduce this other element where the scrutiny goes to another level. I think I just think they're in for a huge shock. So you'd imagine that the thinking there, Shaq, and it's it's kind of understandable if you ran the PGA Tour. What you don't want is negative publicity. Although if you're smart enough to see the bigger picture, you'll see that every other sport has always survived on controversy sure. and publicity. Take the oh, take all right. the drama out of the NFL and what their players get up to, and the same with the football codes down here. And what do you have? You have a boring game that nobody watches and nobody's interested in. You never see any controversy in synchronized swimming. Uh, I can right. tell you. So you can understand as the head that you you want to have this vanilla image and you want to have, the, but but surely there must be somebody in the organisation that can see the loss of the complete loss of independent media is only eventually going to be a bad thing for the tour. When you run all of your own press and everything is nice, nobody's interested in anything. Sure, no, no, no. This goes back to the being mostly marketing people, and marketing people just think that they can sell anything. And, and and regular press coverage is just a it's an annoyance. Um, so it gets back to that mentality, and it's um, so they 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 lo- they welcome things like barstool. And and you know the one thing I I I regret in what I said was that I, you know I welcome those things too. You've got to have different outlets and different things covering the sport. You just but when you you got to have everybody playing by the same mm-hmm. rules on site, or if they're not. Then, then just tell us and explain why they're they're getting to videotape and yeah. So for um, those who don't be know. out there during the competition and 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 I mean, if I stood on the first tee at Riviera this year and had somebody record me uh, greeting players and fist bumping them like I was, uh, you know, part of the action, I, I I'd lose my I lose my credential. I mean, it's just, so things like that, you just go, come on, guys, let's let's have some consistency or some logic here so for those who don't know there is very much different rules for so the guys at barstool got different access to the rest of the media that's the at the president's cup they certainly did uh, as I so in, at times and at a certain area i guess that they could record this and 
and obviously it was almost, uh, you know, pl- they knew it could happen. So they had somebody recording and then hmm. recording their reaction. And hey, again, it's their thing. Oh, people live cool. through them. Yeah, sure. People have always lived through media people in different ways <laughs> uh, covering the sport. Uh, so anyway, that was the gist of why we, we kind of hashed it out on the on the podcast. And um, I, I actually think it was productive. I was, so. I was, that was going to be the question. <laughs> was the result productive in any way? And it sounds like it was if you got some nice interactional correspondence from some of them. Clayton, you must look at the modern media as a, I assume as a player, you had a very different relationship with the media and the media was a very different beast to what it is in the modern era. You were at the president's company, you know, what the the media side of things is like certainly these days. Do you ever give it any thought or the way it's changed? What did it used to be like? Well, had anyone ever heard of Barstool Sports in Australia? No one knew who they were, did they? Well, not, uh, not us, Clates, but <laughs> my understanding no, is no, it's no, young yeah. people um, who do. Well, yeah, I mean, the media I grew up with, the golf writers' dinner in Australia was the six main players, six or seven, Jack Newton and Marsh and Norman and Davis and the six writers who got together and thrashed out any problems they had and the players trusted the media. They, the players knew the guys who wrote golf and knew golf and understood it and knew how to write it and cared about the game, and they all had relationships. But I'm assuming that's all gone. I mean, those guys are all gone now. So there's not a player playing a tournament in Australia who would know a golf writer, would know any of them. There aren't any golf riders in Australia. So I guess that's how it's changed, really, is that there is no media in Australia that covers golf. When there's no golf writer at the age, that Peter Thompson writes for them for 35, 40 years. I mean, how can you not have a golf writer at the age? So, but I think, you know, and there's a the distrust of the media driven by Trump and that mentality that they're all bad and fake news. And, you know, so kids have got instinctual distrust of anyone who's got a media badge on, whereas that was never the case in the past. The players trusted the media because they knew they could. Well, certain people in the media, in fairness, you know, so, so, media's been responsible for its own lack of trust amongst the consumers well, in many ways as well. Yeah, that, that's partly true but you know the tabloids in britain were every every year they'd come up with it you know they'd smash scott hoke or someone that ran the british open time and try to create some fake scandal but um, yeah but i i would yeah but uh, rod i would disagree in some sense that you know dan jenkins slapped players around a lot uh and it's a different mindset now i mean a lot of them didn't like it and you know some of them wanted to kill him but some of them could could laugh about it, um, and and it, it is it is not there now. And I, I don't even know if I blame the players as much as the people around them. Oh, the managers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and true. you guys saw that with the presidents. Cup. I, I yeah, I don't know how much we should expect of players to be spending a lot of time reading. And I mean, there's just always going to be some. But golfers in general have never been um, that much deeper than other athletes in, in their prime. You know, later on they they kind of evolve as people, but. Wouldn't you say, Clates, when when they're in their prime, they're not they're not. Bobby Jones is an exception, and and, and Jack Nicklaus is an exception, but they're not reading a whole lot. Uh, but I I they they I, so well, how can they be? Why are they angry? Why well, think they're angry because the the agents and the and the and the, the caddy or the whoever's around them is feeding them. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't believe yeah. some of the things that I've kind of picked up on what what players have been fed about <laughs> about me by an agent or or a caddy it, 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 it you just like oh no it's so sad these guys are kind of taken advantage of and uh, well it's the agent's job to 
keep the media away. Is it? I mean, I, I, I tell you how many times Huggies told uh, most stories agents. of, you know, asking an agent to if you can talk to a player and there's, you know the, the automatic answer is no. Yeah. You're going to run into the player a week later. So you know, it was a pity we couldn't do that thing, and the players haven't been told. But you know, no, no, yeah, yeah. You know, so so you know, they've got I mean, they see their job as just the media is an annoyance. Which brings us neatly to uh, probably the last thing I wanted to talk wanted to talk about, and it is the Patrick Reed thing, Shaq, which I think is bigger than just that single incident. Uh, oh, it's incredible! Yeah, the fallout and the you know, like dropping the stone in the pond and the concentric circles that come out. Give us your take on what's unfolded since then. Uh, I'll open by saying I thought Garrett Morrison made uh, it was a really interesting tweet when Patrick Reed did the shovel thing on the green at Royal Melbourne which I think was ill-advised, but that's Patrick. Oof, that's, that's what he does. The PGA Tour retweeted it. When yeah. Pa- when Patrick yeah. Cantlay used a bad quote-unquote word at Kapalua, right. they shut it down as like it never happened. What's going on? Are we... Yeah, well, there might be some layers to the Cantlay one. Uh, <laughs> that might might have been a good reason, uh, although I would have just beeped it out on the yeah. rebroadcast yeah. Uh, myself. Um, but... Um, I think that I'm actually heartened by the Patrick Reed thing in in that just going off of of uh, what uh, what people have said to me. I mean, I've been I've been stopped by a lot of people who want to who want to vent about it, um, and I, I I'm heartened by it because they're um, seeing what was so obvious to anybody who's ever played one round of golf what he was trying to do. Um, and you couple it with his his other the other evidence that he's he's loves to to get that area behind the ball altered um, before a shot, um, and I'm heartened by the fact that people are bothered that he did not face a stiffer sentence. Yeah, there's still obviously there's that um, that kind of that that small group that that. Uh, thinks here's another another guy being wronged but it's a small group it's a much larger group that you you sense they love or they're attracted to golf because they do know that that, that these players are, are are people of integrity and the rules matter and that this guy did not get the punishment he deserved he'll do it again and it just it just it, it it's eaten away a little bit more at their their appreciation for tour golf. I'm not heartened by that, but I'm heartened by the fact that they recognize this. It's not this is not good. This is not why we like the sport. Um, I'm disheartened, obviously, that that the people um, that the that the uh, the world of the the PGA Tour is such that the players just kind of run the show now, and 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 they're scared to to uh, to give them the discipline, and he needed it. I mean, he needed to. I mean, I, I he needed to not be at the Presidents Cup. He needed a month off, and um, it's not going to happen. So it's going to happen again, and it's going to be ugly. And so, but I'm 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 thrilled that there are there's still so many fans who value that part of the sport, the the, the rules and playing by them, and the spirit of the rules. So for me, and I agree with all of that, but for me, it went to the next level. With two things, I wasn't surprised by the letter from Reed Lawyer to Chambly, and it's been good to see the case. <laughs> which was really, to be honest, with you, I think we all realised was much more a, a warning to everybody else who doesn't have the legal backing of the Golf Channel uh, to be careful. That's the way I read that. They were never going to sue. Oh, Chambly interesting. The yeah, Channel. it hasn't changed. Yeah, well, interesting. No, no, yeah, exactly. that may be right. Yeah, but Jay Monahan 
and on the day Slugger White, there was no yeah. need for that. He was a gentleman about it, and there was no need for Jay yep. Monaghan to publicly uh, give Patrick Reed essentially a boost by saying he, you know, absolutely believes one hundred percent that that could have been handled differently. I wonder what that tells oh, us about. I mean, what if he just says? What if he just says? Uh, I, I agree with a lot of the people. It was a terrible look. Um, and I understand why people want him to be disciplined, but I, I, I think in the, uh, the reaction of our fans, uh, is punishment enough. He's, he's taken a real hit and he's going to have to work hard to, to earn back, uh, respect and, and something like that. Leave it at that. You know, acknowledge that a large number, a majority of people who saw that were outraged and, and. Yeah, I'm. I'm just not clear why that that answer wouldn't have been acceptable, except for the 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 the, the mindset that the players now that everybody works for the players. Speaking of the players, Clates, uh, as a player, as fellow player, what would his fellow players make of that? Because ultimately, I mean, they had to circle the wagons at the President's Cup. It's a team event. He's there. They have to be supportive. You can kind of get that in that sense. But the following week, and the week after, and the week after, and the week after that, when they're playing in the same fields for the same purse, what sort of response do you think the players have got to the? the Reed incident, and oh, how it's been dealt with. Well, you'd have to be inside the locker room to know you that. Would. But yeah. I listened to the No Laying Up guys yesterday with Lanny Watkins, which was terrific. And yeah, he had, I heard that's a good show. He had a spirited yeah. defence of Patrick Reed. Really? How can anyone, how really? Can anyone know what his intent was? Oh, that I get. You know, no one knows his intent. That's true. And, <laughs> but if you've played golf, you, you're but, certainly you know, familiar with the notion of the club touching the ground. In a practice round... There's a lot of sandy wastelands at Royal Queensland. The practice round, Lucas said he's born to one. And I threw a ball into a hole with a big mound of sand behind it. And I said, would you ever in your wildest dreams think that it would be okay to alter that lie? As a player, you know, you, you don't even touch the... Even though you can ground your club, you never would. And here he is, you know, dragging that sand away. I mean, you know, everyone knows what he did. You know, I couldn't believe Watkins was defending him. And it's true. No one knows what Reed's intent was. And he was looking. The camera. His, his argument was that the camera was behind and Patrick was above it. And he couldn't see the sand because of the club and had to know. And you know, we don't know what his intent was. But you know, you know that if you hit a ball into that situation, you don't go remotely anywhere near touching the ground where you might. I mean, somewhere, somewhere I read, he only brushed the sand. I thought. <laughs> On Twitter, so I didn't want to get the argument. Anna Nordquist said, Anna brushed Nord- the sand. You know, Anna Nordquist <laughs> yes, brushed the sand. Exactly. You know, that's not brushing the sand. That's shoveling the sand. And you know, if, if you were his manager, he would have, well, as he walked off the end of the green saying, Patrick, here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk out there and say, I've just seen the video. Can't believe how bad it looks. You know, clearly I thought what I did was fine. It's clean night. I'm disqualifying myself and my prize money going to go to the hurricane relief fund. The guy's a hero. Yeah. One thinks, what a great guy. And now he, there's, there is no way back from where he is now. Does he, he never. Does he the want players to... never unsee it. No. Uh, you know, he's always going to be that guy who did that. Does he want to be a great and it was, guy? You know, in terms of manager, that's a manager's job. Patrick, here's how you're going to manage this from here. It's going to cost you 150 grand or oh. 200 grand or whatever it is, but here's how you manage it. And, you know, we saw it with Nick Kyrgios, who might be the, I won't say hated, but, you know, um, divisive, least loved divisive <laughs> sports star in Australia. Yeah, comes. He was the first guy to come out and say, "Come on, Towns Australia, we need to raise money for this bushfire thing." Right when the bushfire started, I'm going to give money for this. Everyone loves him. 
I mean, it's not that hard to win the public over. Okay. Can we have a, not, an uh, exhibition uh, match? I think is yeah. what he said. Surely. Yeah. Does yeah. Reed want to be loved though, Clates? You can't help but get the feeling that Reed's at his best when he feels like the world's against him. Well, he's a pretty unique character. If you know, uh, he thinks that's the way to do it. I mean, you know, that's uh, how do you how do you feel walking into a locker room hmm. and every player look at look, is looking at you going. I know what you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not a. I can't imagine that's a comfortable space to be in. You might want to be the. You know, sports always had bad guys, but there's, there are bad guys and bad guys, and that's a. You know, I'm not sure it's a very comfortable space to be in in golf, where you're known as someone who's broken a rule like that. The, the tragedy, of course, Shaq, is that having seen him firsthand at the Presidents' Cup, what an extraordinary talent Patrick Reed is—a legitimately yeah. extraordinary talent. Gifted, gifted golfer. Beautiful to watch. Uh, yeah, that's that's what's sad in this. He's uh, clearly somebody who, who brings a lot of intensity and, and passion to what he does. And Imagination. He, he doesn't, yeah, he, he has an all-around game. He, do, he, he, uh, he, he doesn't need to do this. It's just, um, it's just a shame. But um, I, I think it's, we haven't seen the last episode uh, either. It feels like golf lost a little something through this whole incident to me, probably for the first time. We've had incidents of players being in these positions before, but the reaction from the top feels different to me from the PGA Tour, and I think it's actually a bit concerning uh, the way it unfolded at the top. Oh, it's very concerning. And again, I, I'm, I'm going to partially defend Jay Monaghan in that I, you know it's a player's organization now, and they, they are in, emboldened in ways we've never seen before, and he's trying to manage that. I don't think we agree with how he's managed it on a few fronts, but I don't think we understand fully the dynamic of the predicament he's in and trying to manage the egos, the, the people around the players, um, and and the belief of their their specialness and <laughs> it's it's uh, and the money that that they've been provided has emboldened them in a different way and softened them in a certain way and all those different things that come with that. So uh, he's trying to to juggle a lot there, and it's it's uh, I don't know what you know. Maybe they need to have the the Sony Open television ratings put before them to to maybe knock down the uh, hubris element a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't envy uh, his position. So this man, speaking of, um, let's transfer that somewhat related, women's golf. Mm-hmm. The Vic Open in a couple of weeks. Yep. So young, you and NB Park mm-hmm. entered the tournament, yeah. booked their own house, yeah. didn't ask for any appearance money, wow. and was going to turn up and Oh, play. that's great. Can you imagine, you know, just, um, that having in men's golf? Is it just money, Clint? No. I, I think it's just money. And, and That's what it in is. In fact, here's an embarrassing story I should share with you briefly. Ejin Choi, who won the Australian now, you know this is not the pre-show, right? No. Yeah. no. <laughs> okay, right. just checking. Ejin Choi, who um, I think is a leading money runner on the Korean tour, won the Australian Amateur a couple of years ago and almost became the first player to win the Australian Amateur and the US Open. And she hit the ball in the water at Trump's course and finished second. Um, asked for invitations to the Victorian Open and the Australian Open and for some reason didn't get a reply. So she entered the ALPG Tour School, which is going on now, and she's playing in that. 
so that she can um, get entry into those. So she can win so a she can play so she, 20, she's eligible. She's, a, she's the 27th ranked player in the world. She's at the LPGA Tour School this week. So that's a little indication of, well, if I don't get the invitation, I'll just go to the Tour School and I'll play my way in. And, of course, if she misses, they've since realised what a dreadful mistake they've made. And if she misses, she'll play anyway. But um, you wouldn't see that happening in the men's game either. The 27th ranked player in the world going to the ALPG Tour School. Go to any tour school. <laughs> yeah, pretty, that's pretty a, staggering. What is that? Yeah. What's that about? Is that character? Are women different to men? Is it just about the money? A bloke's now in such a position that, I mean, you look at the. I know we all concentrate on the FedEx Cup points these days, Shaq, but they still publish oh, a money list at the end of the year. And if you go and have a look at it, there are guys you've never heard of making multiple millions every yeah. year. Why wouldn't they be completely? ambivalent about anything and everything <laughs> exactly yeah yeah no i think it's strictly the money um and i and then i think it's also again the the, the way the game is played um yeah how, how how many of these well they first have so many opportunities too in their defense i mean they just have so many choices of where to play and 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 some great golf courses but i i don't know how much how many of them really uh, where, where just play because it's just it's just what they love to do. Um, I it's it is more of a job, and and the money makes it more of a job too. So it's not it's not just a generational thing. It's just just the the environmental factors that that have changed that. And I don't know how you, I don't know how you get that back. But I, it, it, as everybody knows who listens to this podcast and who's still listening to this point, we also think that the game is less fun for them to play because of the way it's played. And that that you would see uh, a, a little different energy if if, the, if more people could work the ball like Bubba Watson and, and be rewarded for it and um, a variety of styles of play uh, could be rewarded. But the, the way we're going, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a, a kind of a boring power guy, the, the, just just the way tennis went, and and that worked out really well for them. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically, we'll wrap it up there because Clates has got to go. Ironically, in the very first episode that I listened back to last night, there was some hope that perhaps something might happen about the ball back in 2012, and here we are eight years yeah. later. Something certainly happened. Uh, More pretty, dimples, yeah. larger ball. Now, still... Well, we'll find out in February. Well, February, they, so we we all wait with bated breath. Uh, concluded this is something worth addressing, and then we'll wait another year. Yeah, well, I, fingers crossed, we'll see. I, I did have half an hour with Mike Davis at the President's Cup, and I... A half hour? I, wow. And I reminded him, which he didn't know, he'd never thought of, that the whole world gave up 25 yards in the early 80s when the Americans forced us to play with the big ball, which some of you hadn't thought of. Hmm. Mike, no one gave up golf in Australia because they lost 25 yards. So they won't give up golf now. You wouldn't think they lose so. 25 yards either. You wouldn't think so. I wonder, in all of his experiences in golf, Clates, whether Mike Davis ever expected to find himself on the on half an hour of the other end of you. That would have been one of his more ex, more oh, interesting experiences in the game, I would imagine. How did that yeah, happen? That was, that was good. Was, I enjoyed it. I think he did too. That was interesting. He's a lover of the game. For all his critics, and he you know, he's, got, he, he's a legitimate and genuine lover of the game. You know that he reads and, and oh, loves he the agrees with everything we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we sat on the bench outside the front of the clubhouse at Royal Melbourne for half. It was good. It was oh, that's beautiful. It. That's a touching story. That was fun. But anyway, yeah. I did remind him that we'd 
had our 25 yards taken away 35 years ago and no one gave up. Maybe everything will be okay, Shaq. There's a little bit of clates now in Far Hills, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the game could do with some more Let's of hope. that. Fantastic stuff. Clates, go on caddy for Elvis today. Best of luck uh, at the rest of the Australian Amateur. And thanks for joining us and, today. And we, and we need to do this more often. I know that the natives the are out there. Frustrated at how little we do this, so let's do some more this year. Okay, blame for monthly. All right, uh, Shaq, you've been warned. You've got to do it more often this week. Thanks for joining I've got us it. today. I've... All right, thank you. And that's it for State of the Game, Episode 100. Hope you've enjoyed all 100 episodes as much as we have. We'll be back to do it again. We're not sure when, but more regularly, according to my two co-hosts, in the not-too-distant future. Here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.